Welcome to Rethinking Church. My name is Tim, and I am excited to be with you today as we are continuing to rethink church and rethink leadership. One of the key ideas for me is that we can't separate who we are from what we do. Not in the fact that who we are is defined by what we do, but more the other way around. What we do is defined by who we are. What goes on inside of us is always going to come out. It's always going to come out in our parenting, in our relationships, in our leadership, and in our ministry. And so it's important that we spend time intentionally developing who we are, not just our abilities. It's, all, it's easy for us as leaders and as pastors a lot of times to compartmentalize our lives and separate out what we do from who we are. But we have to begin to bring those two back together and begin to think about who we are as a person, who we are as a leader, who we are as a pastor, and allow that to shape the work that we do. So I think that there are six key areas that work together to help us really navigate and think about who we are and how we need to develop and grow. Now, I first came across some of these ideas in Craig Rochelle's book, Kazone, as he talks about our life as, as a wheel, like the wheel of a bicycle that has spokes and that each of those spokes work together to help the wheel roll straight or what's known as rolling true. And the same happens in our lives that as these six key areas work together, they keep us moving straight. They keep us moving in the right direction. They help our lives to roll true. The problem is, just like with the spokes in a bicycle, if one of these areas gets loose, it will begin to affect the other areas, and they'll get loose as well. And it doesn't take long when two or three spokes get loose for the wheel to begin to wobble. And if more than that get loose, it doesn't take long before you're gonna hit the ground hard. So it's important that we learn to keep each of these six spokes tight and correctly, correctly balanced so that our lives can move forward. So let's jump right in. The first spoke that we have to keep tight is our relationship with God, our relationship with God. Acts 17, 28, for in him we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Listen, at, at any given point in life, our relationship with God is either is either moving toward him or moving away from him, or we're just drifting. Drifting means we're not really growing or moving. We're just kind of in this place of hoping things continue to be okay. Listen, we have to, we have to Build our relationship with God as the center of our identity. It, it's true. We are created by God. and We're created for God. We live and move and exist because of him. And if that's true, then reasonably we can believe that our best possible life is found in him and in his ways. So really, this is, this is ultimately the root of all sin and all brokenness in our lives is, is our our need to find another way, our need to try to live our lives apart from him 
or according to our own plan, our own system, our own ideas, instead of trusting and working with him. In fact, all addiction is created when we believe that something else is more satisfying than God, that something else can comfort or heal our wounds or help us cope with life. And so we go to bottles or pills or screens or the plate or the bed or the store, the gym, in hopes that we'll find what we're looking for. Anger or controlling behavior, rage, or result of the belief that God is not fixing this problem in our lives, at least not fast enough. Greed is the result of a belief that satisfaction and happiness is found in accumulation. Lying is a belief that God is not working in this situation. We have to manipulate the facts. We could go on and on as we describe sin but and, and, the, and the results of sin, but we have to realize that it all points back to this relationship with God where we trust him and we allow him to guide our steps, to guide our moves, that we are living and breathing through a relationship of prayer. Live our best life simply by, by being daily grateful for what he's given us and done in us because of Jesus. And then to begin to, to just step up, to go and do the things that he's asked us to do. Then we'll help others to do the same. Listen, I think we can call it the law of compound motion. We see it in Jeremiah. We see it in James. But the idea is that when we move closer to God, God moves closer to us. That, that as we begin to walk with him more and more closely, we begin to be more and more aware of what he wants us to do. We begin to have more and more of the strength to do it. And so it all begins for us in this. And maybe, maybe this is an area that you need to tighten up and you want to begin to ask, is there anything taking priority or my loyalty over God in my life? Is there anything more important? Am I looking for satisfaction or healing or meaning or purpose or success anywhere other than God? Is there anything between us, any sin or misplaced anger or fear? And then just what helps me to connect with him? What helps me? When have I felt closest to God? And what can I do to move in that direction? The second spoke is our relationship with other people. We can't pretend that our relationship with other people is right if our relationship with God is, is out of whack. But we need to think about our relationships and which relationships we need in our lives. We need people who will support and encourage and develop us and realize that every opportunity we've ever received has come from another person. Look, you are the accumulation of the five people you're closest to. You are becoming more and more like them. And they are each becoming more and more like the five people closest to them. And so when you begin to think about that, just those 25 people right there in those five relationships, who is influencing you? Who are you becoming like without even trying? We all need relationships. No one succeeds alone. Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10, two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. If one person fails, the other can reach out and help. But if someone who fails alone is in real trouble, what relationship do you need to initiate? Do you need a mentor, a friend, an encourager? Ask God and then be intentional. It tells in James four twelve, we don't have what we want because we don't ask for it. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to ask him today for a mentor and tomorrow it's going to 
that person is going to walk up to you and, and offer to be your mentor, but to look and initiate and build relationships and be aware. Second question, which of my relationships do I need to nurture? Have I taken a friend for granted? Have I allowed my marriage to grow stale? Have you drifted from your kids? Is there a new relationship that's showing potential that you need to invest in? Be patient and keep trying. Don't give up. Relationships take time and they take investment. If it matters, you'll put the energy into it. Third question is, which of my relationships needs restoration? Is there a broken, damaged, or wounded relationship that needs to be made right? Colossians 3.13, make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Do you need to ask for forgiveness or or do you need to give forgiveness? Do you need to try to understand someone's perspective or have you made assumptions? Have you discussed expectations or boundaries? Have you, have you been broken and hurt in a relationship that just needs to be restored? It's a valuable relationship. It's an important relationship. It's a relationship that makes you more who you are meant to be. The plainest way to put this is that when we don't have a plan for our money, we end up in a hole. Right? Like the normal way that people use money is no good. It leaves us broke, beyond broke, in fact. We need a new vision that can lead us to freedom that fits with the vision we have for the rest of our lives. We have to be intentional about our money if we're going to be free in our money. The plainest way to put this is that we are going to need to be intentional with our money or we're going to end up in a hole. The normal way that people use and spend money today leaves them broke or worse, beyond broke and deeply in debt. We need a vision for our money that allows us to use it in ways that match our values. Do you value being physically healthy? Maybe you drive an old car to pay for a gym membership or, or do you value the church and you budget giving, the church, giving to the church right up front? Do you value generosity or helping others or education or travel or, or freedom? How can you plan your finances in a way that helps you to experience what you value most? He is to create a plan with God's direction. Believe that if we're going to honor God with our finances, it involves three priorities. The first is giving. Acts 20, 35, remembering the words that Lord Jesus himself said is more blessed to give than to receive. And then the second is to eliminate debt. The borrower is slave to the lender. When we're in debt, especially overbearing debt, we, we work just to make payments. We work and we don't reap the benefits of that work. And it's often because we bought something before we could pay for it. And now we're, we're paying the price. The formula is simple. Plan to spend money intentionally and wise and spend less and earn more. The third is to save for the future. There'll be emergencies and future purchases, college, retirement, death. It's important, it's important to be intentional. Most of us believe that 20% increase in income would be enough to solve all our problems. And so the person who makes 20% less than you believes that they would just need to make what you make to be comfortable. Actually, research shows there's a threshold where increases no longer add anything to our sense of well-being or happiness. There comes a point where more money stops helping. Here's the deal. It's like a conversation between a fan and a champion golfer. 
The fan said to the champion, I'd love to play golf like you do. The champion looked back to back at him and said, almost annoyed. No, you wouldn't. Surprised, the man said, oh, yeah, I would give anything to do what you do. The response from the pro was the same. No, you wouldn't. The fan persisted until he finally got under the golfer's skin, and he stops and says, listen, so many people say that to me every week, but no one is willing to do what I did in order to do what I do. I got up every morning at 5 a.m. to hit golf balls until my hands bled. I would hit and hit and hit and continue practicing for hours after everyone else was gone. No one is willing to do what I did, but everyone wants to do what I do. We all want to be financially strong, healthy, and free. The only way to get there is obedience to God, planning, and discipline. We all pay a price. Some choose to pay the price of discipline, meals at home, cars they can afford, and avoiding debt. Others pay the price of living week to week, all their lives, working just to make payments. Now, the fourth spoke is our work. When I was in college, the question a lot of people asked was, what job can I get where I can make the most money for doing the least amount of work? Today, many of us live for the weekend. We punch a clock all week long just because it's what we fell into. We have no vision for it. We don't have any purpose in what we do or even seeing how it makes a difference. Now, I'm convinced that literally any and every job can be done with joy and purpose in such a way that it makes the world better for others. Equally convinced that any and every job can be done with boredom, frustration, and a lack of purpose until it makes little or no difference for anyone. It's all in our perspective. Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, do it for God's glory. So we can start where we are, even in the most dead-end job, and use it to make a difference. So you or I can start in the most dead-end job. Doesn't mean we have to stay there, but we can use it to make a difference. We are only as stuck as we choose to be. If you don't have options, create some. Learn something new. Start something. Go to school. You're only limited by your willingness to imagine the future. Some of us are living the dream. And if that's you, be grateful. Celebrate. Elevate what you do. And then live the dream asking what if. Sharing what you have and what you've learned with others. Now, if you're not in your dream job, if you're not in a job you even like, don't panic. Trust God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 say, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. We see this in David's story, where he has a winding path to the throne. Joseph's story, where he has a, a trip that takes him to the pit before it takes him to the palace. Listen, figure out what you were made to be. What are your significant experiences, your gifts? What do you care about? If money didn't matter, what would you do with your time? Now, not just hobbies, something that's actually productive and adds value to those around you. What has God been teaching or asking you lately? Start where you're at now, but start taking steps toward where you want to be. The fifth is your health. Eight out of 10 Americans over the age of 25 are overweight. 60% of all Americans are overweight or obese, and that number has doubled since 1980. It's the second leading cause of preventable deaths after smoking. Listen, this isn't about guilt or shaming any of us. 
But we have been entrusted with a body and we're meant to take care of it so that we can do all that we've been asked to do. First Corinthians 16 tells us to honor God with our bodies. Now, it's not about having a great body or being in great shape, but it's about being able to live your life the way you envision it and God has designed you to live. Mark 14, 38 was a turning point for sure. In the story, Jesus has asked his disciples to pray and he goes off and prays. But when he comes back, they fall asleep and he says to them, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Read this at a time when I was physically my most unhealthy. And I felt like God was saying to me, there are things that I would have you to do, but the spirit is willing and your flesh is weak. You don't have the energy to do what I'm asking you to do. And I need you to take care of the body that I've been giving to you. I found two keys to this kind of health. The first is there's no substitute for discipline and hard work. The second, I have to choose to do today what I can do today. So tomorrow I'll be able to do what I can't do today. And then deal with what's driving the bad behavior. Listen, your health is not a lone spoke. It is connected to other parts of who you are. So why do you want to drink? Why do you want to eat a lot or the wrong things? Why won't I exercise or be more active? Dealing with any of this boils down that to this fact that if you want a different result, you need to do something different. If you want to change your life, you have to change the things you do every day. Now, there's one last spoke and can't possibly today give it the time and energy that it needs, but it has to do with our emotional health. You see, not education, not experience, not knowledge or intellectual horsepower. None of these serve as an adequate predictor as to one why one person succeeds and another doesn't. It all boils down to emotional intelligence, our EQ, our emotional health. Everything we see and smell and hear and taste and touch travels through our bodies in the form of electrical signals. These signals pass from cell to cell until they reach our ultimate destination, our brains. They enter the brain at the base of the spinal cord, but they have to travel to our frontal lobe behind our forehead. And before reaching that place where rational, logical thinking takes place, the trouble is it passes through our limbic system. This is where emotions are produced. So what this ensures is that every experience produces an emotional response before it produces a rational response. And globally, only about 36% of people who have been assessed accurately identify their emotions as they happen. We have to be able to identify our happiness, our sadness, our anger, our fear, our shame, and, and all the various levels of those if we're going to be able to manage those emotions. Emotionally healthy people know what they're feeling and know how to respond appropriately, but they also have the ability to read the room and see the emotions of others and respond to them appropriately. It's important that we maintain the, the abilities of self-awareness and self-management, social awareness and relational management. We can't ignore our emotions. We can't cover up brokenness and weakness or live without limits. We have to be able to focus. We have to be willing to do the hard work of change, to know ourselves, to break the power of the past, deal with our emotions, embrace our limits, 
live in the rhythm of life and learn new skills of a, an emotionally mature adult. Just things like being quick to hear and slow to speak, angry but not sinning, watching our hearts, speaking truth in love, being a peacemaker, grieving, refusing to lie, and ridding ourselves of bitterness and anger and rage. It's not easy. It's not easy. But with work and intentionality, as we develop these areas, we can become the leaders we were created to be. Today's episode was helpful. I encourage you to share it. Share it with someone else that needs to be reminded about how our, our lives roll true and how we become the best leaders we were meant to be, to become who God created us to be. I'm grateful that you spent these few minutes with me today. I pray that you are developing and tightening those spokes week by week and day by day so that your potential is fulfilled to rethink what it means to be a leader together. Thanks for doing that with me today and I look forward to doing it again soon.